Alright, if you have your Bibles this morning, open up to Matthew chapter 13, if you would. I want to talk this morning about what actually my parable topic was for Messiah meetings, uh, and it's not because I haven't prepared anything else, so I'm just using the same teaching over, that's not what's happening. Uh, it's because this really has been on my heart very, very strongly lately. And so, uh, it's actually why I picked that particular parable for uh, this weekend. So, as we talked about, Kyle and I talked about when we went through our parables in the Gospels. Um, read, and then we'll <clears throat> we'll get in some discussion. So, I actually want to start um, in verse. Chapter 13, uh, verse 36. So Yeshua tells the mustard seed parable and the parable of the yeast, right? The parable of the sower, the parable of the, re- uh, the weeds. He's, in a, he's on a parable roll here in Matthew chapter 13. And I, I want us to notice this verse 36. It says, Then he left the crowd and went into the house And his disciples came to him and they said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he begins to explain. Keep that in mind. Put that on a shelf for later because we're going to come back to it. And then he tells a parable of a hidden treasure. And then he tells the parable of the net or the dragnet, which is where I want to read today. Verse 47, he says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like... So take kingdom of heaven and put that in a, in a place. We'll use it a little, in a little bit. The kingdom is he- of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. Everybody say all kinds. all kinds. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels, everybody say the angels. The angels angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things, Yeshua asked? And the disciples replied, But did they really? (laughs) Or did they do just like we all just did and went, Yeah, got it. Yeah, got it. Okay, so first of all, and of course Kyle has covered this several times, but we often think about, chill, I'm going to move around a little bit. So um, We often think about the parables as, as nice little stories. Um, I have long defined parables as a uh, a. A physical story or an earthly story to tell a heavenly truth right right? and while those definitions and explanations can work I'm coming to realize the more I study about literary uh, genres in the Bible and by the way just as a quick aside um, I am prepping some teachings in the book of Revelation okay Um, I swore I wouldn't do it I'm going back on my word But here's what I'm, this is like a complete rabbit trail, so just hang on where we were. 
um, the more I'm studying, preparing for the book of Revelation, the more I realize we're not ready to really study the book of Revelation. <laughs> and, and I've mentioned this before, but it's, it's more and more apparent to me that um, we need to be trained, we, we as a group, and I think Christianity as a whole, most Christians, we really need to go all the way back and really work on how to read the Bible. I know, I know for some of you watching, listening here, you may think like, the heck are you talking about? We, the truth is we don't know how to read the Bible. I, I'm, I'm coming to that real, and it breaks my heart. Like it, break, it hurts my feelings for me. I'm studying the Bible my whole life, grew up under a church pew, and yet I realize that I don't know how to read this book. I don't, I don't know. If I, if I brought in a, or when you go to the doctor and you get your lab report, your blood work or your whatever, how many of you look at it and go like, mm, not sure what all these numbers mean, right? How many, how many times do you, do you see a, you see something like maybe if you're not involved in financial stuff and all that, you see like the stock market stuff on the TV and it just looks like, it just looks like this, right? You don't know what numbers go where and what colors go with what or whatever. The, the problem has been that in, in, in our lives that we've read this book and we've said like, well, it's in English and it's a bunch of stories and it's history and stuff. And, and we've read it like that. But yet what we're looking at is really something that we don't even comprehend. And again, if it hurts your feelings, believe me, it's hurting, it's killing me to go back and have to learn this stuff. But there's, there's different ways that the biblical authors talk about different things just like we do in our language has any, have any of you ever told a fish story right told a fish story fish was this big and anybody with you knows it was, it was probably more like this big but just as an example why do we and I'll get back on my, my point I promise but I'm really excited about this why do we tell fish stories most of the time it's because it was an, it was an an awesome event for us. No matter how big the fish was, it was a meaningful event for us and we want to remember it. So how do we remember it? We make it a little bit bigger than it was and it makes it memorable and it keeps it memorable, right? We do that and we don't even think about it. We do it all the time. Well, everybody believes that such and such is going on. No, everybody doesn't believe. Well, all those people, no, they probably don't. But we use hyperbolic language. We use exaggerated language a lot to talk about everyday stuff. And you know what? Again, hurt your feelings. Your Bible does the same thing. Except they understood the hyperbolic language. They understood the exaggeration in areas that we don't. We just go like, oh, wow. Why doesn't stuff like that happen today? All right, so... I've forgot why I even got on that but parables are one of this literary types they're a way that people use to converse and to convey different messages and to teach different lessons lessons because they were memorable but the thing about a parable is not that it's a cute story it's not a Sunday school story the main point about a parable is that it it is not a earthly story to tell a heavenly truth the main part about a parable that we might have missed is that a parable requires a response. 
It requires a reaction. Y'all, I'm serious. When we get all these Messiah meetings uh, uh, videos linked up and, and posted, y'all have to go watch every one of them. They're each, like I said, about 20 minutes long, and there are some incredible insights into the parables of Yeshua. For instance, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Who do we focus on in that parable? Well, we focus on the Good Samaritan. We focus on on the, you know, the somewhat, I don't think enough, on the priest and the Levite. We don't ever focus on the guy in the ditch, right? And yet the person we focus on least of all is the person asking the question to which Yeshua responds with the parable. That's the guy maybe we need to be focusing on because we are that guy and he's the reason why Yeshua is telling this story. The parable of the prodigal son, again, one that we get the lullaby effect over, right? We've heard it. We know. We know what it's about. We know what it's about. We focus on the younger brother. We focus a lot on the older brother. We don't focus on the father a whole, whole lot. And so there's, there's all of these mechanics, all of these parts and pieces. We could spend a long time going back through the parables of Yeshua and putting ourselves in every spot and working through them slowly and letting God just get all up in our stuff. Because the parables, if anything, they should evoke a response. They demand a reaction. And no reaction is a reaction. So, the first thing I want to, <coughs> excuse me, kind of question I want to pose, and it's, it's not a good question. I don't ask it well. I know that. I have run this question through my head hundreds of times in the last several weeks trying to figure out a way to ask it better and I can't so if you hear it and, and say well maybe you should say it like this I would be open to that before we get to the question I, I don't know how many of you overthink stuff how many of you are overthinkers show of hands just help me feel better good we're in the majority I'm a massive overthinker so much so that you get paralyzed right you get paralyzed in inaction because you're too busy thinking about, well, what if and what could and building straw men and all, all those kinds of things. So as an overthinker, as a professional overthinker, um, I, I think a lot about the, the, the kingdom. And we, this is the most important thing to us, or supposed to be the most important thing to us, right? So I, I think a lot about the kingdom. I think a lot about what all this is about because as, as you all know, my... my um, my view of the kingdom over the last several years has gone from a message of salvation, which is what I grew up under. That you know, that's the gospel is a message of salvation, and that was really all it was: say a prayer, get wet, go about your business. And yet, our our understanding of what the gospel is—that is, the gospel of the kingdom. So it's not just the gospel about Yeshua and about salvation. He is the cornerstone and the starting point of the gospel. And yet the gospel doesn't stop with Yeshua. He's the king of a kingdom. And the gospel is the good news of the kingdom. So with the kingdom, yes, you have a king. That You can't have a kingdom without a king. 
But you also have a people. You have a place. You have a, a, a rule, a, a rule of law. You have all these dynamics that make a kingdom what it is. So the gospel has is, is gotten much, much bigger for me than, than just about, you know, sit there and think about Yeshua and everything will work out. It doesn't work that way. And so these parables, as he's teaching, the refrain over and over is that the kingdom is like, right? The kingdom is like. So when I lay at night or when I'm driving, should be focusing on where I'm going. You ever driving and you're in such deep thought that you pass where you're going? And then all of a sudden you go like, where the heck am I? And you're, you're half a mile down the road and completely lost. Does that happen to anybody else? Good. A little therapy this morning. But, but deep in thought, and, and, I, and I think about this world, this age, right? So for, for generations, for all of known history, there's been chaos, we, we look at our world today and we watch the news and if you can stomach it for more than 10 or 15 minutes, you watch what's going on. Weather is crazy and no, I don't believe in climate change or what, what was it when we were in school? Um, uh, global warming. They don't say, no, global warming apparently doesn't exist anymore. But, um, but the weather is nuts. People are absolutely nuts. The world is on fire. I didn't mention this earlier but but God helped those families of those 13 servicemen that were killed in Afghanistan. All under the age of 20, 22, like I saw the lit, 20, 21, 20. Kids, kids. Showed a video on the news last night of one of the young, and his dad was on, one of the young Marines had sent his dad a video of him talking to a little Afghan girl and making friends with her like the day before just I mean un, unimaginable I mean my heart is so heavy for what's going on going on there but governments are in chaos the whole world seems like it's in chaos and we we look at it because it's our time and we say well this has got to be closer to the end right the world's never been like this before But what if we could go back and talk to our grandparents just prior to World War One? The great, yeah, the Great War, the apocalypse, and and World War One and what atrocities that was. But you know what? Even that passed. But then a second one came right behind it. I mean, could you imagine? living in that generation would you not think that this is it like the world's never been like this before but if you go back before that we have a lot of wars in our country's history the people in Afghanistan Pakistan Iran Iraq Syria Turkey Jordan what they're doing right now they've been doing for thousands of years thousands of years they're all it's all family fighting it's infighting but when we look at the world this, this may not be the worst the world's ever been but you know what we're here and we represent the kingdom now we can't go back and represent the kingdom in the 20's 
And we can't go ahead and represent the kingdom for our kids. We're here now, and this world, and the state of this world, this age, is our responsibility. And it's our responsibility to think about it, to meditate on it, and to, and to, to understand or try to understand what our purpose is and what effect we are supposed to have on it. That's a tale of two kingdoms. And Yeshua constantly says the kingdom is like and gives us all of these beautiful pictures that should evoke a response from us, that should challenge us and make us move, not just meditate and not just think, but move. The kingdom is like. We are a kingdom inside this terrarium, if you're a flat earther, of the earth. We are, we are a, a, a kingdom here. What should, and, and this is the question I wanted to get to, what do we think Yeshua's main thrust, what was his main objective, what was the mission that he gave to his disciples? And this is a kind of a yes and both answer, but for me, the mission has always been get people saved. Right? Get people saved, get them to, to Jesus, and then he'll take care of them. So the, the way I, I've lived my life and the way many of us have lived our lives is that our whole focus is to get people saved, whatever that means. And no, I don't think we fully understand what that means. That's not nothing to offend you. I don't think I understand what it fully means. To get people to pray a prayer, to join a, a fellowship, a church, to get baptized for the sake of their eternal soul. So that they'll spend eternity in heaven and not in hell. And while I don't want to diminish that or, or take away from that at all, can I tell you that I'm con really convicted that that's a really super narrow way of looking at what I think Yeshua's life was all about? Do, 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 do we think that that's our main job? Or, or can, can we understand from Yeshua that maybe our job is, regardless if people get saved or not, our job is to make sure that everyone that we come into contact with, we lighten their load and we make life a little bit easier for them. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm not a good evangelist. I never have been. When, when in Sunday school, when you come in on Sundays and they go, well, how many people did you tell about Jesus this week? I never got the gold star. It was, it was like blue or, or like, oh, we'll give you an orange one or something. It's what? Unless you lied. Yeah, unless I lied. And I was so scared that God would strike me dead. I would, like eight years old, I would never even consider doing that. But I never, I, I just never like, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? I was just, it's not me. I, and I know people who are great at that, who, who can strike up and get somebody focused on God in, in five minutes. And that is a gift. But I always felt like a slimy used car salesman. And that's, just, and that's nothing against Yeshua or the gospel. That's me. That's my issue. I've always loved more going like, oh, yeah, y'all get them in and then give them to me. I'm more of a discipler. That's more of where I like to, more of a teacher. That's where I like to be. I'm not going to stand on a street corner and pull random people and go, let me tell you about Jesus. I just, it's not, it's not me. 
for those of you in this room or listening or watching online that that is your thing the kingdom needs you i'm not disparaging that the kingdom needs you desperately to call people to repentance to open the door to who yeshua is to connect them to their father the kingdom needs you desperately but what the church at large i feel like has done is focus so heavily on that that we've devalued people that don't fit that certain criteria if if you're a person in my life mike's a person in my life and he doesn't know god or whatever we work together and on my job or you know we we work at a plant or we work somewhere and you know mike's just saying he's a good guy you know whatever you know drinks a couple beers on the weekend and you know keeps his yard mode and you know whatever he's a good guy What, what the church has taught me is that if I kind of put out some like Bible stuff or some Jesus stuff and Mike doesn't bite then Mike has lost some value in my eyes because he I can't I don't see I don't see getting him to the the column in my quota chart right I don't think Mike is a likely candidate to go in my in my numbers thing so like I'll be nice to Mike but I'm not I don't really I'm not gonna really care about who Mike is and his life and his family and what he struggles with and his victories and all those kinds of things. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? Y- y'all know what, I think y'all understand what I mean. That you, we, the value of a person is then based on how close we can get them to getting saved. And if they're not anywhere even close, we just justify like, oh, well, they're kind of damned anyway, so like, you know, whatever. I'll move on to the next fish, to the next one. Now, the, the, the image that keeps popping up in my head is standing before Hashem in the judgment. And what do I think I'm more likely to hear? Am I more likely to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, you helped to get 157 people saved. Well done. Or am I more likely to hear, everyone you came into contact with you made sure that you tried to lighten their load and make their life a little bit better. And through that, four people came to really embrace who I am and know me. You know, I mean, this is all made up and all but rhetorical, but as I've said the last several weeks and harped on, we're losing our influence. I, the, the Messianic movement, the Hebrew Roots movement, we don't, we don't even have, I mean... Influence? <laughs> That's not even a thing for us. The church at large, though, itself, which is, which is massive in numbers, it's massive in numbers. In the United States, across the world, the church locally, uh, globally is massive, yet there's no influence. There's no effectiveness. And, and as, I, as I overthink this stuff and try to process and ask God, okay, what... What is going on? What do you expect from us? What are we supposed to be achieving? What are we supposed to be looking for? Opportunities and all these kinds of things. I can't help but think that we're doing it wrong. We're doing it wrong. Doesn't mean we have to go back and uproot all the foundation and start over. It just means we need to start right here, right now and look around and go, something's not working. Things are not jiving. What do we need to do to adjust course, to reset so that we can be effective. So, 
I started Genesis. Because it is the beginning. And every time I go back to Genesis, I'm challenged all over again. Just like the first chapter. Second chapter, I'm challenged all over again. See, this is what challenges me about Genesis 1. Verses 26, 27, 28. What is God doing through the whole week of creation? Well, he's creating, obviously. But he's separating, right? Light from darkness, land from sea. And then he's, he's creating stuff. What is he creating? What's habitat, right? We'll call it environment, right? Order. What else is he creating? Life in the form of what? Animals, plants, fish, right? And, and, I, and this, I don't try to convince you to see it my way. I am kind of trying to convince you to see it my way because I think it's important. I don't want to offend you no matter how you think about Adam and Eve and all, all that kind of stuff. We all know it's, it, it, it's the scripture and we want to treat it responsibly. But what I see in Genesis 1 is God creating populations, Right? He doesn't create two birds and go, go fill the skies. He doesn't create two fish and say, go fill the sea. He creates birds to fill the skies. Swarms, population. He creates fish. He, he, he causes vegetation to grow. Not two flowers that are going to germinate. And germ- You understand? You tracking with me so far? So then all of a sudden we get to verses 26, 27, 28... And we go, okay, God is cre- he's filling the earth with all this stuff through the first, first five days, right? We're tracking with that. Awesome. God's knocking it out. Then we get to day six, and God creates two people and says, go and fill the earth. Do you see how it should cause us at least to stop and go, wait a minute. Is what I've always thought happening here really happening here? So, just as a Cliff Notes version, I've done this before in teachings, but I'll do it again real quick because repetition is the best learning. In my view, day six, God creates humanity, which is a bunch of people, just like he did the birds and the fish. And it's in that part of creation, God says, let us make man in our image, mankind, humanity, Adam, Let us make mankind in our image. Stop right there. That should challenge us for weeks and weeks and weeks to come if we really chew on it and really let it challenge us. God created humanity, and he says humanity is his image. See, it's easy to think, well, God created two people, and they were his image, and they screwed it up for everybody. That's not what the Bible says, in my opinion. The way I understand it, after a lot of study, is that God created a bunch of people and called them his, you are my image. And then he took two people, or Adam, two Adam and Eve, out of that and said, I want you to represent me to the rest of humanity. This is the story we see over and over and over. God calls Noah out. God calls Abraham out. God calls Moses out. God calls Israel out. He calls Yeshua out. It's the same thing. There are some parts of humanity that I'm not comfortable with 
There's some parts I don't like, some parts I don't prefer, some parts that make me sick to my absolute stomach. But if I believe Scripture, all of us together are His image. It's challenging. It's really, really challenging. But see, if I can see humanity as God's image, then that should change the way I view my job and my my vocation as a disciple of Yeshua. He says there were some there were some fishermen. Right? There were some fishermen. And and listen, this is what this is not what the world is like. This is what the kingdom is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. Okay? So let's put it in terms we understand the church is like which the church is not necessarily the kingdom. Those two things don't always equate, but just for vernacular. The church is like, and that's going to make this really uncomfortable. The church is like a net that was let down into a lake and it caught all kinds of fish. So we said in the first week of creation, God creates a concept habitat, environment is the word I've used. Where do you go to catch fish? Where fish live. <laughs> right? Lake, salt water, depends on what kind of uh, fish you're trying to catch. You go where they live. You don't expect fish to come to you. You go where they live. You know, I've told a little bit of pieces of my testimony here and there. I don't know if I've ever done the whole shebang. Nobody wants to hear that. But, you know, I, I grew up, my dad play music in little CD bar rooms so Friday and Saturday nights I was with him and then I was in church on Sunday morning with mom and you know those people in those bar rooms they had drinking problems they had drug problems I saw wives get beat up I saw people shot they fought they were not the upper crust of humanity but you know what? I loved those people. I started to, those people were my family. The, the guys we played music with, they weren't church going, clean, Christian, you know, walk, walk, right, walk right and spit white kind of people. But they were, they were family. They were all a young eight, nine year old boy. You know, I, I knew, I looked up to them. They were good men. They wasn't what I today would call good men or not what my Sunday morning preachers would call good men. But you know what? I knew those men. And I saw them sacrifice for their friends and for other people that they didn't even know. I saw them get off of bandstands and go help somebody that was about to lose it drunk and go help them to their, you know, to their corner to get sober. I saw them take care of people. They're not, these guys are not people that the church would have ever given any value to. But to me, they were family. And then I would, I would sit in church. And listen, we had a blast. Playing in little clubs and stuff. It's not glamorous, but it's a lot of fun. It's like a human circus. There's all kinds of stuff to see. And then I would sit in church and everybody sat like this. 
and nobody clapped. Yeah. I mean, sing about the joy of the Lord. Well, tell your face. Tell your face you're happy about being saved. You know, like, hey, it's good to be here. Like my robotic smile. I can only hold a fake smile this long. Okay. And, and then we would read the Gospels. And they would preach from the Gospels about how Yeshua was with all these sinners. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. And then they would tell you, but don't hang out with people like that. Be careful who, you, be careful who you're around. Got up into youth group and they tell you, be careful who you become friends with. Stick to people like you. So you can strengthen each other and, <clears throat> and so you don't catch whatever they have. And I started thinking, but that doesn't make sense. That's not what the, the rabbi, the guy that I'm supposed to be following, that's not what he did. That's not what he preached. What, you're actively reading what he did and then telling me to do the opposite thing. And over generations that created is a church that has been confined to its walls and its ideology and its own made-up value system. And we have started to call ourselves the image of God. But that's not what the Word says. The Word says that the, the gay guy singing in the choir living a hypocritical lifestyle, he's the image of God too. It means the girl dancing up on Billy Goat Hill every Friday and Saturday night who's got four kids and none of them are the same daddy. And she's dancing for men, taking her clothes off every weekend. It means she's the image of God too. It means the ISIS member that detonated a vest on himself and took 13 of our young servicemen and women it means he was part of the image of God too I don't like this I don't like what this book is doing to me but what I do know is that seeing the world seeing society seeing this age like we have seen it over the last generations is not cutting it it's not cutting it so in my mind we are being forced to look not only out there differently but look in here differently you go where the fish are why don't we go where the fish are why, why don't we do that? Why, why don't we do that? Well, we're told not to. You don't put someone susceptible. You don't put someone susceptible to a certain disease in that ward of the hospital where that disease is being treated. Right? And so we've made this thing about, well, if I'm around people that drink, I might be tempted to drink. If I'm around people that, that, are, that are involved in some kind of perversion, then I might be tempted into that perversion. 
If I'm around people who are this kind of people or that kind of people, I might be tempted into that. Or, or ooh, I just don't like it. Ooh, it just makes my skin crawl or it makes me feel dirty. It's because it is dirty. The reason you feel dirty is because you're clean and you're separated from that filth. But with no compassion at all, we don't realize that they're living in it. They don't know they're dirty because they're living in it. Like a person who has bad odor. They don't smell it because they live in it. You guys, you go outside and you work for an hour, you smell like death warmed over. You come into the house and your wife goes like, what the heck? Get out and you go, what? I don't smell anything. Nose blind. <clears throat> this is a, I can't, with all the smart people we've had in our religious backgrounds, I can't believe that nobody ever went, hey, if you're telling people not to go around other people because you're scared they're going to catch or they're going to be tempted or they're going to fall into sin, maybe it's because you're not doing your job as a pastor, a leader, a discipler, a teacher, and instructing them how to be strong and how to have a foundation and be so full of God and be so full of the Spirit that there's no room for any of that other junk. And we have it turned to the people sitting in the chairs or the pews and said, if you're scared to be around that mess, it's because you're not doing your job as a disciple. I was told this week, don't point spear hand. You're not doing your job as a disciple. Because you're not in the word every day, getting so full of who God is and his light and his life that nothing else would even attempt, never, never, could even tempt you with some artificial type of life. You have real life. You're full of it. The problem is, it's a symptom of not being full of it. It's a symptom of teachers and preachers not equipping us with the real truth and the permission to explore our faith and latch on and build a faith that is full and strong and vibrant no you just got to believe the statement of faith don't ask any questions that's weak and anemic faith i just believe it because you said i had to under the threat of severe and eternal punishment where do i sign up and when the church has no influence no it doesn't because nobody really ever, not nobody, many people didn't really buy into Messiah. They bought into fire insurance. They didn't buy into a covenant. They bought into getting your ticket punched on your way to La La Land. They didn't, get, they didn't buy into the gospel of the kingdom where they put themselves under the authority of a king and submitted themselves to the rule of law of a kingdom. So I'm not, you know, you know what? I'm not, even, I'm not even concerned right now in this season with what's going on with society and with culture, with the world. Because the truth is, is if we went and let our nets out and caught a bunch of fish and brought them in, we wouldn't know what to do with them when we got them in here. Hello? Somebody on live stream saying amen. They're quiet in here. Why go, why go make new converts when we're going to put them in a system that doesn't know it's behind from a hole in the ground? I'm being critical on us. Not on the Baptists or the Catholics or the whatever. On us. 
Why would we go win new people and bring them into a system, not the Bible, but our man-made systems that are broken? Well, just go get them saved and bring them to Jesus and then he'll clean them up and he'll do the rest. That's not what it says. You make disciples. You unwrap Lazarus. You help people. You get people recovered and healed and healthy and clean and stable. And, and you do it. See how we got it back? We just got it backwards. What have we been doing this whole time? We're backwards and upside down. It's not working. We have really have to pray that Jesus comes and fixes everything. And I, he's just got to be like, I can't. I can't with you. I'm so thankful for his loyalty, y'all. And his patience, his long suffering. Because he suffered long with me. We've got to go to where they are, their environment, the world. You know what? The truth is we're already there. I'm not saying like, hey, everybody, Friday night, let's go up to Billy Goat Hill and we'll all go sit in the, you know, whatever. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you have an environment, a habitat, a lake, a sea where you live already. But maybe we're just not throwing our nets. And what, is our, what do I mean by our net? What is the net? I don't mean... I don't mean quoting a bunch of Bible verses. The Bible is the word of God. It's the foundation of our lives. I'm not minimizing it. But you know what? Maybe a Bible verse just doesn't have the answer. Maybe somebody being hit over the head with a scripture is not, is not what... It, telling a homosexual that in Leviticus, whatever, God says this is an abomination. Do you know abomination is the strongest word in the Hebrew... You know the thing. You know the thing about homosexual, homosexuality, transgender, LGBTQ plus plus. You know those are people. Do we realize that? Do we realize they're people? Listen, I I don't like it. I in my in my bone. I'll just be completely transparent. You know, don't think less of me or do whatever. In my bones. I just want to say, like, just let them go to the lake of fire. Like, it's, they're bending nature. They're becoming God themselves. But you know what? I have to take a step back and realize that they're souls that God loves. And the, the old thing was like, oh, well, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. You know, God doesn't, you know, God loves souls. You know, we need to love souls, not people. That's toxic. And I may have asked this in here. I don't, I don't know. It's just been in my head so much. You know, when, how often do, do Christians, good church-going, people that, are, that claim to have the answer, and that's our claim, how often do we engage with lifestyles that we find detestable? How often do we do that? How often do we, do we have someone at work or someone, an extended family or someone that we know is in, engaged in an alternate lifestyle? They identify as something else, whatever. I don't understand it and I don't agree with it. But it doesn't change the fact that it's a soul. How many, how many times do we, have we ever gone like, hey, um, can we grab coffee or something? Because I don't, 
I just want to I just want to visit like I just want to with no ulterior motive but see the problem is most of them would run from that like it, their hair was on fire because not only do we maybe sometimes feel like sleazy salesmen but that's also what we've come off like that's what everybody thinks about us there I go using hyperbole again but what about what about someone who's involved in one of those lifestyles and just and sitting down over over lunch and and hearing their story not, well, we're given permission to what we're doing. Like, they're not asking for our permission. They don't need our permission. They're doing what they do already. I tell you what convicts me. It, it convicts me to my toes. Just, we're talking about homosexuality. You look at the homosexual community. They accept everybody. They cheer for everybody. They're not prejudiced for for this type or that type or oh well, you're this color or that color or you're you're this shade or that shade or this bent or that bent they it's just they just want the world to be happy now i know there's a lot of other stuff that is involved in all of that so don't at me but compare that to what the the kingdom has been do do we want everyone to be happy or do we want them to rightfully suffer for their sins How dare they? This is coming from a... I, look. When I was in high school, I was doing... I was, I was, I, I was I sacrificed so much, I felt like, to try to live for God. Everybody else was out drinking and all that kind of stuff. I got my life straight. I was in church. I was teaching uh, camps and retreats, had a worship band. I, my whole life was devoted to God. I went through three vehicles in about three years old raggedy this one broke down this one I had a 67 a 68 Ford pickup my grandmother gave me I painted it I redid it all myself because I couldn't afford to hire anybody to do it took it out on its maiden voyage was so excited hood latch broke hood flipped up over the windshield up over the top cab of the truck couldn't fix it so you know what tied a yellow rope tied it down and my junior sophomore and junior year I drove to school and parked that truck in the parking lot every single day it would rain hood would fill up with water a guy two years younger than me dad owned a body shop he had a 65 step side painted pearl cream pearl chrome wheels absolutely gorgeous I had to park by him every day. Exhaust. You know what I mean? Just like sound system. And here I'd come in. That old truck would squeak whenever it would turn. Park with my hood with a bright yellow rope tied. He wasn't a believer. Didn't go to church. Wouldn't know Jesus if he walked in and shook his hand. I was bitter about that for a long, long time. Why, why was I bitter about it? Because I was the one that was righteous. I was the one that had repented from my sin. He didn't even know he was in sin. I don't want him to be blessed in his sinfulness. I want him to, I want him to be suffering in his sinfulness. 
Why do we have that attitude? Where does that come from? Why is that even a thing? Because I know it's not just me that feels that way. Maybe not everybody feels that way, but I know it's not just me. Who cares about the homosexuals? They should suffer where they are because of their sin. Thank, fall on my knees and thank God he doesn't have that attitude towards me. Just because I'm one of the lucky ones. Yeshua said that the net, it pulls up, it pulls up all kinds of stuff. The net's full, and he said that they, the fishermen sit on the bank, and they separate the good from the bad. And then he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. At the end of the age, the angels. Who separates the good from the bad? Well, first of all, before we get to separating, let's talk about how there's righteous and unrighteous in the kingdom. We want to scrub each other up. And that's fine. Accountability is good. Iron sharpens iron. Absolutely. But there's righteous and unrighteous in the kingdom. Why are we so scared of there being a little dirt in the house? Being a little mud in the house? Being a little nastiness in the house but that's that's what we want we want a clean house a clean church a clean kingdom a clean whatever we are we want it to be clean because we're clean and holy and all of that and all of that's great and all that should we should ascribe to but Yeshua says they bring in all these fit and there's good and there's there's good and bad there's clean and unclean there's bass perch good eating Redfish, clean fish, and there's like catfish and and scrimps <laughs> and crayfish. Listen, if anybody's watching, it's not crayfish. Nobody says that, so stop it. And nobody says crawdads. It's not a thing. Okay, your PSA for this morning. But there's all kinds of stuff in the in the boat in the kingdom whether someone gets into the kingdom or not is not or whether they're shared the kingdom is not based on their value it's not based on what they can do for the kingdom or for us personally do we treat people with prejudice with a religious prejudice based on whether we can get them into the kingdom or not i just have to say yes as a whole yes And it's not just small country fellowships. It goes all the way up through the ranks. Mega churches want athletes and pop stars and all. They want want all all that. And those are people too. Great. Get them. Get them going. Get them in. But there's a whole lot of stuff in the kingdom. Well, what do we do with sin in the kingdom? Well, if we have relationship with people, that solves a lot of problems. You know? Just good, genuine, caring relationship solves a lot of problems. Go to church or go to fellowship with 
people that are living together unmarried, man, it's really easy from afar to stand off and judge that and say, rah, 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 they should, and quote all kind of verses at them. They don't need that. You don't think they know this is not an ideal situation? They know. But when you understand them and you get to know them, you can at least have a little patience and compassion and help them along the journey. See, it's not about people being in a certain state that we define as approved. It's about helping along the journey that God has called them to. Here's the thing about, about Christianity as a whole, but Torah observance. I'm going to talk to us. Torah observance. Your call, your responsibility to keep the commandments, you know whose that is? Yours. My responsibility to keep the commandments is my responsibility. It's not my mom and dad's. It's not my brothers and sisters. It's not the person I meet in the meat market or, or in, the, in the salad aisle at Walmart or down the cereal aisle or whatever. It's not, the, not, it, it's, it's not those people's responsibility to keep the commandments. It's not the pastor I used to work for or the people I used to be in youth ministry with. Or, it's not for them. You know why? God has not revealed it to them. Just like it wasn't my responsibility before God opened my eyes. And it wasn't your responsibility before God opened your eyes. I said a couple of weeks ago, the first 10 years you're studying Torah, keep your mouth shut. I'm thinking like 12 to 15. Or I'm thinking about like, the scale's getting longer and longer. The, the, because the truth of the matter is... God opened your eyes to the Sabbath, the feast, the commandments, and all that kind of stuff. So you know what? You're responsible to Him. Oh, but we want to get all evangelistic, though. Got to share what I know. Again, why? Why are you quoting Bible verses to people who are trying to pay the bills every month? Why are you quoting Bible verses to people who are stuck in a marriage that's going down the tubes? Why are we quoting Bible verses to people who are, who, are trying, who are living their life? They're following the call God gave them. Now, do I believe that the Torah is for everyone and that everyone finds ultimate blessing? And, and, and yes, yes. But imagine if somebody would have pulled you out of your church where you were a good, faithful member, doing your best to follow God and love God, and you were sincere and somebody tried to pull you into this messianic thing and said, now you have to start doing all this stuff. Well, if there wouldn't have been a fight, there'd have probably been a fight. Let's just be honest. See, it doesn't work that way. But we value people based on our criteria and our, what we think. Oh, well, you know, they might be Christians, but they don't keep the Sabbath. They worship on Sunday. I've said it. I said stuff like this a couple of months ago. Well, you know, they stand up there and worship, but they go eat a you know, ham sandwich. Do you see how toxic that is? I've had to repent of that. I, I, this last, Miss Janice's teachings from years ago, just on a little, I'm just like, oh, I wish I'd have never heard those teachings because they're all coming back and they're hurting my feelings. I've had to repent of stuff. You see, that, that's a window into my value system, how I value people. They don't add up to what I think is righteousness. Thank God he doesn't judge me on some other people's righteousness. Because there's Afghan Christians right now that are, that are smoking us. We don't come because like, oh, we have football, or oh, it's too hot, or oh, there might be some rain, or whatever. 
The church in China is growing by leaps and bounds, and they read a half a page of torn scripture every single week over and over and over and over and over. So there's a lot of all the stuff in the kingdom. Here's what, here's what I want to I make sure that we're about, the business that we're about in this season, and I couldn't think it's at a better time right now than these fall fees. This is the time we are. I can't think of a better thing for us to be about than making sure that we are so committed, that we are so humble, that we are f- so full of the things of God that we think about, we meditate, we study, we do all these things that when there's sin in the house, it either has two choices. It can change or it can leave. One of the two. That we are so focused on relationships, real, deep, I know some people stay at a distance in a fellowship because they're always kind of going, well, like, well, if he says something I don't like, I'm out of here. And I don't want to be too close to anybody because that's just going to be messy. I know that's the way some people are involved in fellowships. Well, you know, if, if it keeps going like this, I'm always looking for an escape. If that's, if that's your membership in this fellowship, just leave. I'm preaching to the choir. I know. But if you're in any fellowship, you're in any, anywhere, I understand there's like a testing out period. Like, okay, let's see how, just how crazy. Can I handle their level of crazy? Okay, like I get it. That's with everybody. But if you're involved in a church or a fellowship or whatever and you're always looking for an out, just leave. You're not there anyway. What I'm talking about is people that are committed to each other. That if somebody's not here for a week or two, we're on the phone going like, hey, is everything okay? Can we do anything for you? That know each other. That know that if I come in and I'm not talking to anybody before service and I'm not hugging and hey, hey, whatever, and I'm not doing all that, that you know that it's... I'm not doing good. Let me have my space. Everything's going to be okay. I'm just having a moment. Let it pass. That if somebody comes in in tears, we have moved with compassion and that we, we move with care and understand that we know each other. You know the people in your family. You know facial expressions. You know voice inflection. Can we know each other that well? Because that seems to be like what the, 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 the New Testament fellowship was like. They lived life together in a fabric not looking for a way out, not always on the out, but together in closeness. Because the truth is, there is sin in the kingdom. It looks like this. Well, I don't, I don't know what kind of sin we're worried about. What, what are we worried about? Drunkenness, homosexuality, what, transgenderism coming in the kingdom? Well, we're not going to get all that. But there, what are we worried about coming in and contaminating the kingdom? We're already here. We're already here. Oh well, we we might not be we might not be you know strippers and homosexuals, but we got malice. Yeah, we got we wear masks. We got a lot of anger. We got a lot of judgment. Evangelists I used to travel with always used to say, I'd rather counsel somebody with sins of the flesh over sins of the spirit any day of the week. 
those are the ones that will bite you. And, and it's my argument that the kingdom is full. It's a cesspool of that stuff. But hey, at least we're pro-life, which is great. Good. We ought to be pro-life. Don't misunderstand me. We're pro-life and anti-gay, but we're all judgment and all bitterness and all malice. And then we go, why aren't we having an effect? We don't need to worry about contaminating the kingdom. God can handle the, he, there's a There's mechanisms for that. He's, he's got that under control. And then he ends up the parable, and he says at the end of the age, at the end of the age, we've got to deal with these people to the end of the age? You mean some people are going to come into the kingdom and die unrighteous in the kingdom? And it doesn't seem to bother Yeshua. Don't worry about it. At the end of the age, it'll get sorted out. And who does the sorting? Not, the angels, the messengers, the whatever you want to call them. I don't, it's not us. We don't do the sorting. God, that hurts my feelings so bad. Because See, I don't like gray areas. I don't do well in gray. I like black and white. But how much of life is black and white? None. Practically none. You could say science is, but it's not even black and white because it studies a dynamic world. The angels at the end of time are going to do that, that stuff. What? So we just live together? Yeah. That's the gospel of the kingdom. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you just live together. Again, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. I'm not saying that salvation is not important and leading people to repentance is not important. That's not what I'm saying. And again, those of you that are good at that and you, that's your calling, please step forward and do that so that those of us who are good on the other side can have people to disciple, to grow the kingdom. Absolutely. But here's a radical, and this is super, some people are going to log off. This is so radical. What about if we just cared for people's well-being? With no expectation of of anything. What if we just care for people's well-being? Brady drives a tow truck and every once in a while he'll send me pictures of like, this is where I am today. And it's like the backwoods of the backwoods. Like how in the world do you get out there? And he deals with some less than, okay, some interesting people, unique, different kinds of people. You know what? Brady's not beholden to get those people saved. How, how many of us have carried a weight that we didn't? It's we've carried it so long that we don't even realize we're carrying it anymore. This weight of did I get that? Did I introduce that person to Jesus? Or did I? Did I? You know? Did I witness? We've carried that witness weight for so long we don't even realize we're carrying it. You know how nice it feels to just go. You know what? I just want to be good to everybody. 
I just want to smile at everybody. I just want to make sure that everybody that I come into contact with, my main goal is that I make their day a little bit lighter. That's all oh, the weight that comes off. <sighs> did I win? Oh, how was my, did I say the right things, Jesus? Did I say, I mean, all the stuff we've done, like it's some kind of magic potion. Did I say the right words? God, give me the word. And there is a time for that. But just, what about just caring about people in general? I don't know them. I don't have to know them. But if they know I, I really care about who they are and their experience, because let's get down to brass tacks. Isn't that what you want? When the cashier at Walmart doesn't even say hi, how's your day, and just start scanning your stuff, doesn't it aggravate you a little bit? Maybe some of you don't because you don't like talking to people. And you're like, that's just fine. Just scan away, honey. But you know what does irk me? When, some, when, when I'm somewhere in a store or whatever and someone goes, hey, how's your day? Good. I think they don't care. It's just what they say out of reaction. It's just what, it's just what they do. No, if you're going to care, I want you to care. Because you know what? I think I'm important. You may not agree with what I do or who I am, but in here, in this brain, I'm important. I matter. And so does every other person that is included in the image of God. They believe they matter in their world. And you know what? They do. And when we reduce their value, it's, it doesn't say as much about them as what we think about God. When we judge people's value, it says less about us or them, more about what we think about God. In the end of days, the angels will separate them. And they'll take care of them. What we have to worry about do is getting people from here to there. And we hope they end up with us. And if we treat them sincerely and humbly the way we want to be treated, more, of, more people will end up truly in, as citizens of the kingdom. Citizens receiving the gospel of the kingdom than just a bunch of people that raise their hands at a youth rally or a revival or whatever. That's great. That's a seed planted. But I want citizens, not just spectators. So here, as, as a pastor, here's what I want us to really focus on. Our community, those of you that are watching that consider yourself a part of this community, I really want us to focus on... <clears throat> During this time of Elul, again, as Ms. Janice has taught, we've alluded to, this is a time of introspection. This is a time the king is in the field. This is the time to prepare. The king in the field means that he's coming out to meet his people. He's leaving his, his, his palace and his throne, so to speak, and he's coming out and he's freely available. Isn't he available all the time? Yeah, but this is a hot spot during the year. That, that the heavens are doing a different thing. God is doing a different thing. And so this is a time where we have permission to just introspect, examine ourselves. And just start with stuff like, am I somebody people want to be around? That people like to be around? If the answer is no, then change. <laughs> be nicer or whatever. Introspect, and I'm not saying that this these you know these things that we have might not be sin that needs to be dealt with. 
But it may just be the way perspectives and the way we look at the world and ourselves that we need to just tweak a little bit. I don't, I don't care about necessarily uh, the church or the kingdom having influence over the government. We couldn't handle that if we got it. We wouldn't know. It's like a dog chasing a car. We wouldn't know what to do with it if we caught it. But what I am interested in is the people that live next door at the trailer park or the people that live across the street down Hog Farm Road. That's literally the name of it. Or the, the, the couple that I buy meat from in town or, you know, the Indian guy working at the gas station. This is a season to work on us. So do that work. Don't just let it pass by and go like, oh yeah, Lul, great. The idea is that we're supposed to be doing introspection to Shuvah. Yeah, but I'm good. Don't do that. Do work during this season. Get books, get devotionals, get, get newsletters, whatever that you can be engaging in every day. <clears throat> so thank you guys again on live stream for, um, for hanging out with us. Um, I hope this message was challenging for you and encouraging. And um, just know that we love you guys very, 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 very much. Father, I bless you for our live stream family and thank you for them. <coughs> I thank you, Father, from all over the country and even other parts of the world that tune in to watch or that watch later. Um, just what an incredible blessing they are. Um, we pray for protection and safety over them, for healing and health. And, um, Father, we, we lift up our military, our government leaders, those that are still in Afghanistan that are trying to get out, not knowing what the next few minutes hold. And, um, Father, we pray for, for, for wisdom and for protection for them, um, for comfort for the families that have lost loved ones inexcusably. And um, we pray, Father, for Israel, for the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, our friends, our loved ones, the Jewish people during this time of Elul and approaching the feast, Father. Just pray for your continued protection, safety, and prosperity for the nation of Israel. For they are the heart of our kingdom. They are the heart of this, this gospel message in this kingdom. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for this family that we have here. And I pray your blessings on us as we go through this storm that we will be taken care of and that each other will be taken care of. And Father, most of all, again, I want to thank you for your loyalty and your faithfulness to us. I want to thank you for always just being so constant, so constant and so loyal that it's easy to take you for granted. And Father, thank you for being that for us. We will not take it for granted, but we will recognize and we will be thankful and spread your hope. We love you and we bless you through Yeshua, our beautiful Messiah, and the life that he lived. Amen and amen.